Welcome to a podcast on fire on Enter the Dragon. Bruce Lee takes a leap onto the world stage as an Asian lead in the international martial arts picture Enter the Dragon. He unfortunately doesn't live to see its success or its legacy. My name is Kennedy and it's Podcast on Fire OG crew in the house. As the Scottish originator of this uh, circus is here, here to discuss this m- movie with me. And it is Stuart Sutherland. I suppose uh, he's the Begbie of the Films and Swearing podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, yes, I saw your uh, tweet. I saw your tweet. I thought like, I'm going to make a 90s <laughs> reference because he tweeted about it two days ago. Yeah, I, I unfortunately, I, I tend to say the word cunt quite a lot. And yes, I got the nickname Begbie at work. So I always like working with you. It's like working with Begbie. Is it, why the cunt reason do you think I'd and, and I just went off and, and then I realised, oh, okay. Because he says cunt a lot, doesn't he? Thankfully, it's based on that fact and not because you're inherently violent. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> Badge of honour. Yes. So hello, Ken. How are you doing, my friend? I am very good. Doing my thing over here. And uh, you've described you, yourself as working out of the basement in the Podcast on Fire Network HQ, which is so not true. Like, uh, yeah, we we <laughs> might share sort of hosting, but technically. But uh, yeah, you, you're, you're your own thing. You're not relegated to anything. You're, uh, mm. you're your own your own uh, ship, your, your own uh, island. And we intersect every now and again when we can. And that's why we're only doing one movie based on the fact that, uh, well, I have all the time in the world. Stu's a family man, so he can't... Uh, I'm a very unorganized person. You're a very organized person. You you set up your family with food and screens and entertainment while you go in, in your separate little uh, podcasting studio and do this. So. <laughs> That's very good. Yes. Uh, but uh, speaking of uh, films and swearing, uh, I don't know exactly when this is going to come out, but uh, give the listeners an idea of uh, what you've been doing during uh, 2019 because uh, you go on uh, little uh, theme months and uh, seasons and things like that, whether decades or genre based and things like that. So what's been going on in 2019 in terms of that? Oh, God. Well, we've been doing, we had an 80s summer season. So just tackling various films from the 1980s, uh, each episode covering like one year. Uh, then we have a Halloween horror season. We're planning a Kevin Smith season at the moment to coincide with uh, the release of Kevin Smith's latest film. And yeah, it's, it, in that case, we're just kind of covering some of the films we haven't yet reviewed on the podcast. Because we spoke about Kevin a lot of times, but we might have not had a chance to sit down and talk about Clerks 2 or uh, Red State yet. So this is now going to be the month where we could finally sink our teeth into the the back catalogue have have you um seen most of these that these represented like first time watches for you these 80s season or or 90s even it is a mixture sometimes it is first time watches which i'm always very welcome to because it's always great to see something different and if it turns out to be a good film then it becomes like a a favorite a few years ago when we did do it, it was the 80s season again. I think we've done we've done three seasons now where it took the whole summer. First year we've done 80s, second year we've done 90s, and this year we did 80s again. But in the first, like three years ago, was the first of me watching uh, Day of the Dead, mm-hmm. the George Romero one. And then I'm, I'm convinced I'd watched it when I was younger, but watching it now and then really impressed me. Like, the the visual effects the the soundtrack 
and it just kind of clicked. You're not kidding there. I mean, I, I think what Day of the Dead, as, as much as I love Night, as much as I love Dawn, Day of the Dead, is there, there's something about it, you know, outside of the just completely exemplary and gross special effects by Tom Savini. Mm-hmm. There is something because it's the third one, and now it's it's more hopeless in that one. Uh, you know, everything's breaking down, and it's it's humans uh, doing mm-hmm. doing this to themselves. Uh, they can't organize uh, properly because uh, you know it's the cabin fever issue, uh, being underground and all of that, and civilians and military. And yes, it's not superbly well acted at all times, but it it's it, it has this hopeless aura. Uh, Bub is a is a yes. really uh, classic uh, creation. Uh, the zombie that they try in House Train, and they do. <laughs> and I do love the 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 insane uh, captain where he screams at the doctors like, "I need to know what you're doing with my time." Oh yeah, oh uh, you know what? The, 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 that movie is very profane, and uh, one of the laser discs I bought off Day of the Dead because I had a chance to pick up a couple of them. Uh, one of them was of essentially like a TV version of it, oh. m- meaning redub dialogues. So one of the yes. civilians that uh, drinks uh, drinks a lot. Uh, He's, he says, like, well, they won't, uh, I don't have my fucking booze, and soon there won't be any fucking booze left. And the redubbing is so bad, it changes almost <laughs> p- uh, pitch, you know, uh, from mm-hmm. p- performer to performer. So, uh, and a lot of violence removed as well. So that was like a lot of fun to see it uh, neutered. Unneutered print. Mm-hmm, indeed. And one of the surprises I got this year was uh, towards the end of the summer season when we done the year 1989. Our Twitter poll steered me in the direction of Godzilla versus Bolante. Bolante, yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen that in a dog's age. I, the, the 80s, 90s ones, I, I only saw them once on VHS and haven't re-bought them. So essentially, they'll be new films for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but they're, they're, they're fairly acclaimed. It's fun, though. They weren't apparently, at all times anyway, box office slam dunks. And then in came, in the 90s, uh, the free Gamera movies. That sort of mm-hmm. both, at least in the quality department, because they're great. Uh, Gamera, Guardian, Guardian of the Universe, uh, and uh, so the third one is Iris something. Uh, but regardless, they, I remember August Rigoni said to me that, that essentially Gamera came in, which is not Toho, and they were better. Well, URL time, of course, for Films and Swearing, uh, because uh, you're the honorary co-host, so you obviously get to plug your stuff, so uh, go ahead, buddy. Yes, uh, feel free to... Listen to us, search uh, iTunes, Stitcher for uh, Films and Swearing, and you'll find our podcast. We're currently up in amongst 240 episodes, so that's... <laughs> yes. It is uh, next year, the year 2020, we have announced that we are taking the show uh, part-time. Our, our personal lives are getting a little bit more complicated next year, so I think the first quarter, there'll be a couple episodes we like to talk about what we finished, uh, what films we enjoyed in 2019. We always like a little Oscar episode. And then after that, it might be a period where we're off the air for three to six months, depending on life. 
for sure. I mean, you 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 guys have been uh, uh, producing machines for heaven's sake, so no one would blame you for uh, for being sporadic. So don't yeah. stress about that uh, at all. I'm, I mean, for, for heaven's sake, I'm, we, we're kind of sporadic. I mean, I, I put out two shows a month uh, normally just to not um, overwhelm our audience uh, necessarily. I'm not saying weekly is bad, but it's just uh, how I've chosen to do it uh, at this point. Yeah, we're planning it that way, but the thing is, there's a big fucking meaty archive of podcasts that you could like feast on. Uh, so you're not going to miss out on anything. And if you do want to contact or follow us on social media, it is at FAS Podcast for Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Excellent. Well, uh, for all your Podcast on Fire network needs, go to uh, the website, of course, podcastonfire.com. And the show post includes all the social media links, as does the website uh, at all times. Uh, handy buttons at the top of it and all that good stuff. I'm not going to re- uh, repeat uh, my personal links or anything because uh, we need to transition into what might be one of the classic movie scores of all time. The uh, mm-hmm. main theme for Enter the Dragon. I've owned the soundtrack for ages, but haven't rewatched the film until now. Last time before that was on VHS. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm familiar with the score. So uh, we're going to take a 30-second musical break and listen to the score that you all, I hope anyway, uh, know and love. And uh, we'll be back after that to discuss Enter the Dragon from 1973 and some background in terms of how this picture came together. So sit tight and we'll be right back. Welcome back and uh, Soul Movie up for discussion during this episode. Between me and Stu is Enter the Dragon from 1973 and plot from the Far East Films review of the film. Every 10 years, Mr. Han, played by Sakin, stages a no-holds-barred tournament to find the finest talent in the fighting world. Lee, played by Bruce Lee, is enlisted by an elite syndicate to enter the tournament in an attempt to uncover Han's secret drug-running operation. However, Lee also has ulterior motives. His sister, played by Angela Mao, was murdered by Hans, uh, Hans Underling, and he is looking for revenge. With the help of two fellow competitors, played by John Saxon and Jim Kelly, Lee wages war on Han, Han, whatever, and his army. Uh, so let's uh, do some background. Uh, after Bruce Lee achieved international stardom via his return to Hong Kong as an adult, uh, because those Hong Kong movies... Uh, they broke out internationally as well. Uh, and he, he worked for director Lo Wei on uh, his first two pictures, The Big Boss and Fist of Fury, and then made his directorial debut, The Way of the Dragon. And uh, then he went ahead uh, and uh, started uh, Game of Death and uh, never got to complete uh, Game of Death. 30-40 uh, minutes of edited footage is essentially what we have right now, mostly fight footage. But he was approached uh, during that time by Warner Brothers, who wanted to develop a vehicle for him in English. And together with both Asian and international cast and crew, the project became Enter the Dragon. It uh, opened in August in 1973 and made nearly 90 million US dollars worldwide, which adjusted for inflation would be a bit over 500 million worldwide today. So that's a pretty sizable hit. 
you know, we're in the billions right now with uh, all the Marvel stuff, but still 500 million today is pretty damn good, actually. That, that was in August in 1973, but in July 1973, um, a month earlier, the world was shocked by the news that Bruce Lee had passed away after an allergic reaction to a painkiller. So that's that's another story in itself, but uh, worth mentioning, obviously. Uh, it was conceived as a vehicle that uh, would appeal not only to fans of the emerging kung fu movies um, via, via Hong Kong, but uh, producers also to sort of ensure appeal, uh, cost... Um, a uh, white and African-American lead as well, uh, John Saxon and Jim Kelly, uh, respectively, as uh, black exploitation was also emerging in the early 70s. So Jim Kelly was a find in that regard. Um, you know, Shaft had come out at that point and uh, surely other classic movies. Saxon had a black belt in judo and uh, Shotokan karate. And uh, Jim Kelly was a karate world champion and uh, he, he was actually brought in late after an actor dropped out merely days before production was due to start which was fortuitous for kelly because it led to him getting a contract with warner brothers as uh, the star of his uh, own martial arts slash uh, black exploitation themed movies such as black belt jones ah yes so it all worked out um it uh, was shot in Hong Kong, uh, including the location of uh, Hans Island, which was filmed at a residence known as Palm Villa near the coastal town of Stanley. Uh, when it came to music, as we discussed before the break, Argentinian musician Lalo Schifrin was hired, and he was known for his jazz scores. But uh, for this one, he also put in elements of funk mixed with a more traditional score and also mixed in samples, you know, uh, from, you know, that, that would connect to China and Korea and Japan. Also, he mixed in Bruce Lee's war cries that were known by this point. So he built that sort of soundscape, uh, classic soundscape, really. And over the years, the uh, sales of, uh, have equaled uh, to over 500,000 copies of the soundtrack, uh, physical uh, soundtracks, uh, presumably, and it earned the title of gold record, this soundtrack. A major promotional push was behind the movie as well. It had, obviously, uh, lots of posters and photographs, but uh, the studio also offered free karate classes. Uh, <laughs> and, and I don't know how uh, you know, how unusual that was to sort of make, it, uh, make the promotion uh, more engaging in that way. But, uh, mm, learn, learn the art that was not used in the film. Exactly. <laughs> not John Saxon's uh, martial arts. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I don't know if uh, learn Jeet Kune Do, which is style, uh, style that has no style. Maybe that, that doesn't ring good well in terms of promotion. But uh, uh, there were also flip books, apparently comic books. And uh, the stars were, of course, seen in the media. And ultimately, it went on to become one of the most successful films of 1973 with a, um, again, a 25 million US dollar uh, box office uh, take on an $850,000 budget. Bruce Lee's movies in hong kong were hits in hong kong like you read about but they didn't warm to it as much compared to the takings of fist of fury uh, the big boss and way of the dragon so who knows it may, maybe a, a tougher sell being a more international movie rather than popular hong kong cast around uh, bruce lee and things like that the movie has also been in remake talks for many years at one point uh, it was developed by um Sons of Anarchy creator Kurt Sutter as a noir-style thriller called Awaken the Dragon that would hmm. would have starred Korean singer and actor Rain, who was in that... Um, Ninja shit. Assassins? Yeah, that shit in Ninja Assassins. It had so much CG <laughs> blood, that movie. It was uh, like a cartoon. 
so I didn't really get on with that. Uh, as late as 2014, Spike Lee was rumored to be attached. Uh, next year, Rush Hour's Brett Ratner was attached, and uh, reportedly we're at the stage now where Atomic Blondes and Deadpool 2 uh, director in charge, uh, David Leach, is attached to direct. Uh, David Leach started out as uh, second unit director and uh, stunt coordinator and things like that, including on uh, In Hell for, for Ringo Lam and with uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, but uh, who knows if that's going to happen um, or if it's uh, truly something that's commercial nowadays um, to remake Enter the Dragon. It's one of those, yeah, it's the Bruce Lee movie. It doesn't scream two billion at the box office. You know you know what I mean? Or what do you think? Uh, would you be excited by uh, by an Enter the Dragon remake in 2019 or 2020? Or I know. It's it's like, how who who, who is enough to like make it? relevant to draw a crowd i mean it's not like you could cast paul rudd in the role of bruce lee <laughs> yeah i don't know because it's so it was so meaningful that this mm-hmm. they, they, they caused someone that was on the rise and like no one had ever seen before yeah nowadays it would have to be some kind out of a bts <laughs> one of those people who doesn't have a proper name and just a, a letter <laughs> yes, one of those guys, bring them in, and that that will probably guarantee some box office. But other than that, there isn't really like a a, a huge international Chinese star that's just like primed to take it. Because obviously we've got all our our Asian international superstars like with Jackie Chan, Jet Li, with the likes of Tony Jaa and the dude from the Raids. They're they're great as like villains in movies, but to put them in a an English language as like the leads, it wouldn't be a a box office success. Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking what what their angle would be today, yeah, because this really came about through um, ripples, uh, the mm-hmm. the Hong Kong success of those previous movies and international success. So I'm not gonna like sit here and protest or anything. If it happens, hap- it, if it happens, cool. But uh, I'm not rushing. To see anything because I'm I'm not sure I'm I necessarily need an Enter the Dragon remake. Uh, yeah. Um, because it's a it, it's it's a tournament movie slash sort of a spy movie, but the thing was that this was Bruce Lee's movie, and I don't know you, you got to extend that fact somehow. And, mm-hmm. and and as you said, who, who's up and coming and on a similar trajectory and. Uh, and if you're gonna make it like a way different movie, then then you maybe need to start to shed the end of a dragon shadow over things but um you know that's why i'm not in the film business uh we'll see uh, it's not that like uh, david leach uh, is lacking talent uh, uh obviously uh, he has been working stunts and uh and he's a talent uh, i haven't seen mm-hmm. atomic blonde or deadpool too so i can't vouch for his directorial skills necessarily but um mm-hmm. Absolutely. i know how you could fix it and guarantee it daft amount of money just change it from Enter the dragon and replace it with John Wick four, and everyone will just go see it. Yeah, pretty much. Like, uh, mm-hmm. like make it a tournament movie in that uh, complex universe of assassins with their own currency and whatever. Assassins in nice little business suits. They all bring their own pets with them. When the pets gets killed, it all kicks off. Sure, it's, uh, that's money in the bank. <laughs> and, and put Keanu in there in some in some shape or form, and I'm in because uh, Keanu is the best. I imagine him as Han, sitting there with like a fake hand, petting his dog. 
have tournament now. <laughs> Go to the morning <laughs> ritual now. And uh, but he's still the best. Whatever he does, he's the best. Did you see him in between two phones, Keanu Reeves? Yes. Yes. Aye. That was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at any rate, uh, let, let, let's throw it to you. Um, in terms of um, a, a brief opinion, you you have, you have seen this um, more times than I have because I saw it first on VHS and now uh, now on Blu-ray. So uh, you have a li- little bit more history with this. So revisit and uh, in short, uh, what did you think of it uh, this time? Oh, I, I fucking adore this film. It's just one of these ones where it's it's like comfort food. Every time you put it on, it just makes that you like that day better. I remember like earliest memories of the film where I it was like the last Bruce Lee film for me to find well and see because I'd worked my way through all the others collecting them on VHS but Enter the Dragon I just never found that one on tape. Oddly that shouldn't be a problem because it's it should be the most widely available one being a Warner Brothers movie. Exactly and then I like it was on TV on a Saturday night and it was maybe half an hour in and I was just engrossed as like a family party but I, I just drowned out all the voices around me and just focused on that little screen and it was just fucking perfect. And now, God, I, it was one of these ones where I never knew it was my favourite film until I looked at all the Enter the Dragon kind of stuff that I, because I, I, I own the film on uh, Blu-ray. It's like a, a steelbook, fancy little case. Uh, I bought the soundtrack on vinyl. I think it was record store days and maybe 2017 there's a picture disc with the the original poster on one side and then a black and white photo of bruce on the other side oh that's rather nifty so i would as soon as i saw that i was announced that i have to i have to own that i didn't know i need it until now and they of course being a family man you can still indulge every now and again yes and i do have one of those uh, last exit to nowhere t-shirts where it's just an advert for mr han's kung fu tournament in English at the top, and then it's in Chinese on the bottom half. That's a rather curious uh, mix of uh, memorabilia. For for me, if I started collecting beyond the Blu-ray, I would probably pick up like the Laserdisc and mm-hmm. s- maybe an older version of the vinyl. You know, because uh, they're not terribly expensive to get like one of those first runs or at least uh, those uh, simple black vinyls. Uh, did you get into the Hong Kong stuff once that hit DVD? You know, uh, the big boss, Fist of Fury, Wave the Dragon, Game of Death, uh, which is an international movie, but you know what I mean. So, so was Enter the Dragon first for you? It was definitely last. It was strange because I think it's always kind of it is separate. But when collecting, obviously, there was a VHS collection for all the Bruce Lee um, Hong Kong movies, and then Hong Kong Legends done their own one. So, obviously, with and a dragon being with Warner Brothers. It's always, at first it was like that one that you forgot about because you thought you had them all in your box set. Like the two different types that I had at that time. Mm-hmm. So End of the Dragon was always like kind of last on the radar. But over the years it's become the more rewatchable one because when I was younger I was convinced that Game of Death was my all-time favourite Bruce Lee movie. You, you remember our discussion about that, how... Uh... How you, uh, young, impressionable Stuart, didn't uh, notice all the fancy filmmaking tricks in Game of Thrones. Yes, the, the cardboard mask that was selling <laughs> to the, the, the mirror. And all the End of the Dragon footage, uh, or, well, the second here and there from End of the Dragon. <laughs> yeah, so, ah, it, things you learn when you, you, you listen to audio commentaries and go, okay, there's, there goes the magic. 
Oh, it is a real corpse and not a fake corpse. Fantastic. Nice moral and ethics filmmakers. Aye. <laughs> Definitely a gorilla filmmaking. You know what? Let's uh, let's uh, move forward a little bit. You know, it's funny. I, I, I haven't seen this since I saw a cropped version of VHS. And it wasn't a rental that made an impact on me. It was a rental that I quickly forgot about. Uh, I think I got it for a school project and I was aware of Hong Kong movies to a degree. But I had not seen Kung Fu movies up to that point as such so I, was, I, I got into Bruce Lee via the Hong Kong Legends DVDs of the prior movies and but I never went back to Enter the Dragon maybe same reason as you as the, the one you forgot because it wasn't part of that same lineup so mm-hmm. essentially I felt like a new viewer and uh, and I wondered like could Bruce Lee's iconic impact be maintained in a western production and actually it's quite a bit and we got some new stuff here that's actually quite appealing and fun because this is not a pure, you know, let's transfer Fist of Fury, but do it in English. Not at all. It's a tournament movie and a James Bond-style adventure. Yes. You know, that that have all the chances to fail. But it doesn't. It's rather fun and it's also approachable and easy to watch. And even though it's not wall-to-wall action... It is clear this is Bruce Lee's movie, and they honor the impact that he made. They let him be Bruce Lee, meaning his content is not watered down, and he's so charismatic, and he's so cool. And uh, he is the designated fight choreographer. They make no secret about that. He's got a big credit at the front of the movie that he arranged these fights. So it's not <laughs> like they were afraid to let an um, Asian man run the set or anything. No, I'm, I'm so happy that they this is his baby and uh, it's really neat to have this to it because it feels different versus his Hong Kong movies but but, but it's good fun like like it's, it adds this versatility in a, in a career cut short because I'm not sure Lee necessarily would have had this idea himself to make a James yeah. Bond style adventure and and it didn't seem beneath him he seems to uh, mm-hmm. engage in this which is cool yeah and he doesn't necessarily hog the screen time either it is kind of given to both like Roper and Williams as well. So it kind of mixes it up. It gives him other characters to interact with. Whereas it's not like the whole film is on his shoulders. No, it's a nice little uh, triangular thing there. They all get their basic backstories and uh, mm-hmm. things like that. They, you know, early on, it's wise though that we get a close up of Bruce Lee and uh, this sound cue to go to go along with it uh, to make audiences realize that, they, that who's this guy or this guy's back and he's in this movie he's in this english movie mm-hmm. so uh, and obviously we're not going to mention all the cameos but uh, because there are a lot of cameos here by favorite hong kong actors stuntmen that would become actors and directors uh, but obviously we see samu at the beginning uh, fighting uh, fighting uh, bruce uh, well samu is in his pants well, Bruce is in his pants as well. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, A strange but, strip tournament. Yeah, exactly. But it's really <laughs> cool how, you know, the, the, there's no set style throughout this movie. So uh, it, it always feels a little bit different each fight scene. So I love these short exchanges that Bruce has, you know, these short takedowns, uh, not a whole lot of extended kung fu. He seems to mix boxing and judo throws and we get marvelous sights of Sammo doing backflips because he's uh, in his physical prime. And uh, in terms of fighting, like, like it's not a Wing Chun movie and it's not a Hunga movie. Or it, it's this sort of palette of a lot of different stuff, which I think is very cool. And in the that, that plays in the movie's favor that nothing feels... Uh, 
like it's repeating. We don't get five nunchuck fights. We don't get five uh, weapons fights or anything like. It feels different each and every time. If if you ever noticed that uh, consciously or not. Uh, any other cameos throughout that you like uh, made you happy to see, like uh, other than Samoan? I always do like to see those brief shots you get of uh, a young Lam Ching Ying. Uh, during the the tournament sequences where they're fighting outside in the courtyard, and there's old scenes with uh, maybe Roper or Williams gambling with the man with the milk bottle glasses, and Lam Ching Ying's just sat at the side trying to look cool as fuck. Yeah, they're they're all here, man. Uh, you know, Yun Wah and uh, and uh, Yun Biu, you can see as well. Uh, and and in the beginning, of course, a very young uh, he's essentially a kid, uh, a young Stephen Tong Wai who yes. uh, became an uh, actor, action director, and director. Uh, and and it, it's this early scene where I'm sure Bruce got to work with the writer to verbalize his philosophy on teaching Kung Fu, of how, mm-hmm. on how to approach it mentally. You know, he talks uh, about uh, approaching Kung Fu with an emotional component and not with anger. You know, don't think, feel. Yes. You know, that distinct Bruce delivery, which is so damn him and so much fun and i'm sure you can listen to this philosophy and and uh, absorb it as someone who's in the arts too you know what i mean all right and it, it's just it is there's delivery of those lines so don't look at the finger or you miss all that heavenly glory <laughs> <laughs> like, was that the first take were you short on time <laughs> like he lays it on thick does it suit him, you know, playing it in English and playing it like he does? You know, does he come off as being present and charismatic and all of that, acting in English? It definitely still manages to carry that same charisma. It, it doesn't come across that it isn't, it's not off-putting, it's just strong. I guess maybe charismatic is probably the best label to put on it. Yeah, very, very much. I, I think, yeah, you know, obviously growing up in, um, what was it, uh, San Francisco? I think so. But regardless, in, in in America for long stretches of his life, obviously English was not uh, a difficult language for him. Uh, so and and that feels a natural. It is a, not a sync sound movie, but it, it is Bruce, you know, mm-hmm. and it is John Saxon, presumably Jim Kelly. Uh, Sekin has a dubber, but he delivers his lines in in English to the best of his abilities. Uh, clearly, so it's not this awkwardly dubbed uh, movie. But uh, there's not a whole lot of sync sound, if any, here. Uh, regardless, if it's John Saxon and Jim Kelly acting with each other, or uh, John Saxon and uh, Bruce Lee. Even though he's a uh, Mr. Exposition, I, I do like the actor Jeffrey Weeks as uh, Braithwaite, as he lays out the plot for us and Bruce. He's one of those yes. actors that you... I'll, I'll listen to that actor, and uh, he's there to lay out the plot, but uh, I'll, I'll listen to him for a bit here. He seems to be able to come on the screen, uh, you know, without being uh, this... Uh, like, like it's not a plot where they lay out 10 developments for us to keep track of uh, in five minutes. You know what I mean? I, I don't know of the actor, but I'm sure he's a, a mighty veteran that you just um, that, that you can rely on. Yeah. I like how the government was like ran on whiskey as well. When they sat doing the meetings, like, you want a wee drink? Drink? No, no, just tell me what's going on here. Okay, finish my drink. Well, smoking and drinking and having uh, <laughs> having briefings, you know. Uh, it's just, uh, uh, these it was the sli- 70s, man. Yes, yeah, sli- slideshows <laughs> in dark rooms, and all you see is smoke uh, as the uh, as the room is lit up by uh, by uh, uh, only the projector and things like that. So um, yeah, 
but 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 yeah, it's a tournament movie, but it doesn't feel like it. It has a couple of other strands. You know, it has revenge, a revenge strand, which leads to Angela Mao's cameo, which is cool. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I would have loved for Angela Mao to be in it a whole lot more, but she, you know, made her mark on Hong Kong cinema, so they cast her here to do some action, so she's not helpless, even though she's the sister that dies. Is that fun to sort of see pop up in a Western movie? Like, hey, look at Angela Mao, and she gets to be Angela Mao for a little bit. Is that like a comforting feeling too for you? Oh, totally, especially as like a fan of Hong Kong cinema. It's always great to see those familiar faces. It's almost like bird watching. Like you kind of, when you're watching a film and that face pops up, it's just another little bonus. I would have been a little bit more peeved if uh, Angela would have been helpless and then killed, killed off without killed. a chance exactly but here here she fights back so obviously the production listened to uh the feedback they got on uh on the background uh, of the people they brought in and angela mao is the star of obviously hapkido and when taekwondo strikes and uh, her, her movies got exposure but i don't know how long it took for for those movies to come out you know lady whirlwind ever likes uh, I, I think it was lady whirlwind that came out it came out in America, whatever. But regardless of the year it came out, it was after Deep Throat, so they gave the the movie the title Deep Frost. Sweet Angela Mao kung fu movie without any sex. I think it was Lady Whirlwind, and she she's she's the typical Angela Mao in that one. But Deep Frost, Asian lady. Oh, imagine this should <laughs> the subtitle should just been Deep Thrust. Angela Mao takes no dick. Yep, it, it could have been, could have been that way. <laughs> is it fun to see the fact that they use Hong Kong as a location too? Is that uh, does that make a difference uh, that it was an English movie that wasn't set in America? Yeah, it kind of makes it more exotic for like an American audience because like, they could have just had like a tournament in America, but the fact is like an island, and they're all going there on their little boats where they all get the, the little flash like backstory flashbacks it, it's just cool that they go there and then they're then transported to this mysterious island and it does it does come out it's not quite like wonka's chocolate factory but it is it's just this mysterious place that not everyone gets to but when you start to look behind the scenes it's it's not all of what it seems like, 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 did you miss the fact that this is not like heavy on Bruce Lee action, or it never feels like that that it's missing for like the first half of the movie? There's one of these things I never really even noticed. Yeah. I'm sure we get his little scrap at the start, and we could see that okay, his character is clearly talented, and they do that a good story, but setting up with like the the revenge subplot, the introduction of all these characters, their backstories. So it is it's strange to think that this is one of the movies where it's more story focused rather than watch me batter 12 guys at once. Yeah, no no revenge uh, for your master or um, anything like that. I, I mean, granted, they, they were trying out the different structure in the big boss by having him not fight for 45 minutes and then, then it's on after that. But uh, yeah. I, I didn't miss it either. I, I, since uh, seen as I didn't remember, a whole lot about Enter the Dragon. I, I was very curious about the structure and how they were going to keep it going and then drop in the elements as they go, you know, and then in the end, you should have a mighty impression of the fact that this was a Bruce Lee movie, and it was. Mm-hmm. But but it's all very functional uh, storytelling, uh, adding a little backstory to each of those three persons. They even have a little fun on the boat as this uh, 
I was about to say Tokyo New Zealander. You never hear see that in movies, but this very <laughs> fighty. Oh, I, I want to kick someone. I don't want to kick anything. I want to kick Chinese. And the, the, there's a funny thing when he approaches Bruce and he talks about yeah. it. Oh, what's your style? You can call it a style of no style or whatever his dialogue is, uh, or the, the art of fighting without fighting. Which yeah. leads to a very fun gag that I won't uh, ruin for new viewers because I think it's quite clever the way they go literal on that, meaning no fighting. And they, uh, they make a little fun of that uh, notion of the New Zealander always wanting to fight, uh, always wanted to kick any Chinese man he can find, I suppose. Uh, so, uh... Here, you with a basket full of oranges, kick. <laughs> it's like it's so like what's your problem man? like he's so uh, amped that boy's get... just trying to do his job leave him alone it's funny though if, if you if you know your kung fu history in america a little bit um king boxer was out just a few months before and uh i think or like the same the same year but but before by but by an distinct distinct number of months that was warner brothers too but it wasn't it can't have been this wide of a movie because it was a pickup. It was a Shaw Brothers movie that they picked up. Yeah. So here was a chance to get more of the King Boxer crowd and uh, who were curious about this thing called Kung Fu. And it really, it's nice that it worked despite this not being anxious to drop fights every 10 minutes into the movie mm-hmm. because it's set up scenarios and characters on background. John Saxon playing golf and his sexy African-American secretary at the golf course and all of that stuff. So it's, you know, we, we get there and we don't miss the fact that like, come on, bring out a nunchuck or whatever. So yeah. uh, r- rather, I enjoy the interactions. I mean, I think, I think John Saxon and Bruce Lee have some very enjoyable interactions because Lee is a quiet sort of uh, presence and he reads people. He even, he even he's read Roper a little bit and he sees that he's apprehensive about uh, this whole tournament and this island thing. And uh, I really like how Bruce uses the non-verbal to his advantage, uh, just being there, observing, uh, smiling, uh, you know, communicating that way. And that's obviously not because he couldn't speak. It's because of that's a choice that's healthy for, for a movie. Uh, it's not arty. It's, uh, it's healthy for a movie to uh, be uh, um, a quiet, stoic presence and uh, externalize when it's needed rather than be a chatterbox uh, all the time. The kind of kind of put it on the nose but when you have that sequence on the boat where they're gambling over the, the praying mantis and Bruce backs the, the small one I always get the names mixed up uh, Roper is John Saxon's character yes, isn't it? Yes. yes, when he's like oh 50 bucks on the big one and it's like you shouldn't underestimate the small one, much like Bruce Lee in this situation where he is just this small quiet reserved person and then put him against someone as like big as Bolo and then you're surprised with the outcome. Yeah, very very much. And it, it feels like a lot of it is Bruce Lee, the idea man, being able to contribute as well. Because uh, he, he had been an idea man, I think, from the get-go, even in the big boss. Some ideas to try to argue against, like the uh, the outline of a person you punch through a wall uh, in uh, in the big boss. He <laughs> the, tried to argue against, like, that is stupid. But he, he went with it, and, uh, you know, he was his first... Uh, movie after all we we obviously get get to the island and uh, it's going to get um, more action-packed there as the tournament starts and uh, i really like how bruce has put together these uh, not extensive fights but uh, you know as 
as we see uh, Jim Kelly versus the New Zealander character, which I don't know if he had a name necessarily. But, you know, as short as they are, these exchanges, they are really nicely detailed, continual changes. They're, they're, it really seems like it's headed by someone who has been there for a few years and changed Hong Kong action cinema. And they let him. I don't see this as, you know, obviously we know the credit is Bruce's, but um, it really does come off as uh, not from this uh, uneducated uh, newbie American perspective or Western perspective on how to shoot action, but rather it comes off as as uh, someone with a healthy perspective on what makes action impactful and even short exchanges like that. And even, the, you know, when Lao Wing, the, the son of the big boss in The Big Boss, his, uh, he kicks uh, John Saxon um, and how that is followed through on, you know, enhancing the power with, by following through with your entire body. That looks really cool, Stuart. And it's not a lot. It's not five or ten minutes of just continual fighting. But I really love that Bruce makes the most of short moments and if you look at his action in his own movies sometimes there were about short moments uh, there's a, a scene in the big boss where he, uh, peter chan approaches him with a knife and bruce takes him down in free uh, in free strikes mm-hmm. and it's it's all the more impactful the way he was thinking it uh, didn't come from any tradition i had seen in 20 other movies and it's sort of extends to this movie that uh, it doesn't need to be 10 minutes of stuff to be impactful and it's certainly it certainly is uh, those uh, little tournament fight flashes that we get. Um, uh, so I, I really like that. But uh, we we should perhaps address address something here. Uh, part of the tournament and one of the henchmen to even kill off uh, tournament opponents is is Bolo, whose character's name whose character name is uh, Bolo. <laughs> yeah. So um, two things. Uh, did he make any impression on you in this movie or when you met him recently? <laughs> I have, whenever you see him in End of the Dragon, as soon as I go, Bolo, and he sit, stands up and is like, oh yeah, he, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> and I think he is kind of known nowadays as, well, maybe back then as like the Chinese Hercules. It probably is like the easiest thing to compare. So that's like a Chinese Schwarzenegger. Look at the size of that boy. Mm-hmm. He's huge. He's an absolute unit. It's an it's an unusual shape for a kung fu hero, really. Yes, and it's it's such an unusual name, but it's like one of those really satisfying kind of names just to, I guess, pronounce. There's there's a fancy term for it, but uh, just like bolo, and then and it, bolo, like maybe your first thought is, oh, it could be like a like maybe a wee comedic character, maybe like Eric Sang, but then when you see bolo, like Jesus, yeah, that makes sense. Aye, so. He does come across as quite a formidable figure. And yeah, I mean, this month, October 2019, Bolo was flown across to Scotland to attend a comic convention uh, in Edinburgh, along with Jean-Claude Van Damme and Michael Thingley. I can't quite pronounce his name. Uh, He was famously known as the villain from um, Kickboxer. It's a very strange spelling. It's like Q-I-S-S-I. I'm not, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce that. But yes, Jean-Claude Van Damme was sort of the, the big get for this convention in Edinburgh. So I, I think they're just trying to make the, the most of it and flew in two of his most famous opponents from his, his 
significant 80s films. So there, the villain from Bloodsport and the villain from Kickboxer. And you can get your picture taken with the three of them for the handsome price of £190. Holy crap. (laughs) Yes. Did you uh, bite the bullet or did you try to stalk them afterwards in the bar? (laughs) No, no. Well, that was it. It was Jean-Claude Van Damme was obviously the main attraction. Mm. They had two options. It was like, is it £100 to get your picture taken with him or £100 to get an autograph with him or £500 to go to a personal meet and greet and have dinner with him. So it was like a black tie event. I think it was only limited to 50 people. He would sign merchandise. He would take a picture with you. But he would go around from table to table and kind of have a little talk. Oh, well, fair enough. Uh, doing some work, so to say. Mm-hmm. When you got to the convention hall, they had on their floor map like a the Jean-Claude Van Damme zone. And when you went into the hall, that zone was hidden behind a black curtain. So yes, he was he was hidden away from everyone. But by far the biggest line was like a big cattle queue that just went around like snake three, four times the length of every other queue in the building. And I mean, this is a place that had Christopher Lloyd and Burt Young and Judge Reinhold and lots of kind of other famous faces from the 80s. Yeah, you had fucking Bolo. And I thought, well, I'm daft on End of the Dragon. I kind of have to meet Bolo. Like, he was in End of the Dragon. If you want to do like your degrees of Kevin Bacon, I'm going to meet a person that met Bruce Lee. And just fucking spawn from that. And I thought, I, I kind of have to go see Bolo. Now, to meet Bolo, his requirements, of because co- there's a cost, of course, um, his pricing was £40 for either a photograph or £40 for an autograph. And I thought, okay, fair enough. And I, I thought, I did just buy the Enter the Dragon steelbook. And I thought, it would be brilliant to get like a nice, maybe silver metallic, Sharpie signature, because I, I didn't even, I wasn't even familiar what Bolo's signature looked like, but I thought just to get his name scribbled on the front of that case to meet a man that was actually in Enter the Dragon. So I, I did. I, I managed to convince my wife, like we need to pay forty pounds <laughs> to get this man to sign this this steel book. The guy was in Enter the Dragon, so it was like one of these things where I felt like it was a very justified purchase. I done it in a sense that at least it's not Jean Claude Van Damme who wants like one hundred quid for for a photo. Like this is less than half of that, and he was in Enter the Dragon. <laughs> You're really driving home that point. <laughs> yeah, because I still haven't seen Bloodsport, but Enter the Dragon. It was it was really crazy when I got there because we got there, we got in the queue. And it's like just when when you see someone like you could have been watching them the night before in like 1973, the fucking peak physical, and then it is now the year 2019, and he he looks closer to Wu Ma now than he does to Bolo, but he was sat there in this humongous humongous uh, gold gym like leather sports jacket. Of course, the boys like obviously had a fair history in bodybuilding, I'd imagine. So he was sat in this big jacket and he had a cap on and the cap was pulled down over his face and I just kind of had to stand there and wait and when I finally got to like the front of the queue, the person in front of me asked him for a photo because that was the other thing I was thinking. Like, we're in like this, this day and age where everyone asks everyone for like a quick selfie. Like if you meet somebody's, oh, could, could get a quick photo together and and this is not, like these paid photograph sessions they did were like in a in a 
in a booth where it'd be like the the promoters banners behind it well and the, the picture would be printed out and signed and put in a little frame so that's what you were paying for your 40 pounds but for a, like a quick selfie like you just had to kind of be cheeky and ask that they could either say yes or no and on the tables I have a price list and when I met Bert Young he I just mentioned that he's just done selfies you just asked them and he's like all right sure come around the table done a wee rocky pose spoke quite nicely for a couple of minutes but when it came to Bolo's table, selfies wasn't even mentioned on the sheet. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Shit, okay. Might not happen. And then the person in front of me asked. They got their picture taken with them. I was like, oh, fuck. Now I have to ask if if she's getting her picture taken with them. I, I... You've seen it. <laughs> so I remember they, they had, like, their handlers, these celebrities. They have, like, a wee handler that will take all the money, take off the sheet that you've paid to get this autograph. And you present what item you want signed and where. So I handed over mine to the Dragon Steelbook and the person looked at me, just kind of like the nod of appreciation, like, oh, this is a lovely steelbook. He was the end of a dragon, I know. (laughs) (laughs) And that was that the table was covered in like glossy photos of him and Bruce Lee on the set and then loads of his photos with Jean-Claude Van Damme. And he said, where do you want him to sign? And he said, I've just gone to point to the bottom. And he just nodded, signed it. And he almost kind of looked like a like an an automaton, you know, like where they just winded the key at the back, then the arm moves, picks up the pen, slowly scribbles across the case, puts down the pen, and pushes it across the desk back towards me. And I was like, I have to ask. And I was like, do, do you mind if I get my take a picture with you? And just like a little subtle nod came from him. So I got around the table, I crouched down beside him because I wasn't going to ask him to stand up, and. We took the picture and he just didn't move. You could look at the the pictures out, like we could put them in the show post so people could see for themselves. So there's a picture of me with my bat, like big crazy beard, hair combed to the side, and there's Bolo looking at the table with his hat covering his face. Well, to be honest, I didn't pay for this. The fact that I'm in a photo with a guy that was an end of the dragon is good enough for me. And it's like, I, I, there's no way I should feel disappointed about it. Like, the fact that I met the guy, he, I got the signature I wanted. I got my money's worth there. The fact that I got to share a photo with him is a nice bonus. And when I met my sister-in-law the next day, she actually thought I was in a picture with, like, a, a like a Madame Two Swords wax dummy. Yeah. Like, just, <laughs> where it was, like, the hands and no, the no, face. No, 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 he wasn't an of a dragon. Like, ah, that doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> but it just, it just kind of looked frozen in the picture, and I was so fucking cheery-faced. It just looked like I was standing beside, like, a wax statue. I think he was maybe overwhelmed, because there was all these people, and he just... He, he's an old man, Jesus. He's he's well into his 70s now. Yeah, born in and 1946. We stuck around for the Q&A, because I thought, well, let's hear him talk. He was in Enter the Dragon for fuck's sake. Let's just sit here. <laughs> and we sat for 45 minutes, and the host of the event came out saying, yeah, um, as you know, Bolo hasn't come out yet. He doesn't really want to come on stage. He's kind of overwhelmed with the experience and his suffering from stage fright and kind of just dismissed the Q&A. And I thought, fair enough. Like, how many conventions has Bolo Young done? Like, he's, he's not like the Green Power Ranger where he goes up and down the country and this is his life now, going from convention to convention, doing videos for his social media and selfies galore. Like, this is quite a reserved, quiet, like, Chinese gentleman where, like, maybe he's just used to like, this quiet life and now he's been flown to Scotland He's been put in this giant convention hall. He looked like he was freezing. <laughs> so we flew him to Scotland in 
October. So he sat buried in his jacket with his cap on. Probably thought, oh, for fuck's sake. Okay. So I, I, I'm not surprised at all that he was probably overwhelmed with the response he got. You know, you know, you 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 don't need to be an extrovert just because you're on screen, of course. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, that's good psychological sort of uh, your sort of honed anal- analytical mind kicked in there, and you thought you thought of him humanely rather than like <laughs> you know, serve me, I paid. Uh, Bolo, look at look at the camera, Bolo, look up. Like you did in a movie, like he ago. Go and, go and cradle me like that one bad guy that you folded. <laughs> Uh, but I love that memory. I love that story. I mean, it's it's now preserved in uh, in many shapes, uh, you know, digitally and physically. Uh, you can probably reach that uh, case now and uh, look at it and cradle it uh, as you go to bed and uh, be weird about it. I'm trying to find a nice way to kind of preserve. I don't want to put it against the other cases in case it scratches mm-hmm. and then the signature's compromised. So I'm becoming that person. Oh, well, that, that that's good thinking for heaven's sake. To... Go over some final notes. I suppose my favorite tournament fight is Bruce Lee versus Bob Wall. That obviously Bob Wall is the person he wants revenge on, uh, and I love how this is structured. They work off a still build up. They face off, and then Lee quickly does like one or two punches to his face, shocks him, and he exhausts him bit by bit. He frustrates him bit by yeah. bit. And just increases and increases. And then in the end, obviously, you know, spoiler, you know, he gets his revenge. This is not the final fight. And I, I think that's so memorable as a concept uh, to just uh, wear down your opponent that way. To Maybe it's redundant to say, like, this is the best fight in End of a Dragon. I bet a million people have said that before. But I, I was very impressed how it conceptually came to the screen in this Western production. And it's so cool. The choices of the, this character. Bruce Lee is not in this rabid revenge mode. He's still keeping his cool. There, there's a little bit of emotional sort of exhaustion, ex- exertion or whatever towards mm-hmm. the end. And that makes sense dramatically, even that he yeah. needs to have, uh, he needs to like open a valve and then he can close it again and walk away, essentially having done what he came to do. Those switches, I don't know. It, it's acting. It's it's it's, an, it's non-verbal acting too, Stuart. So he, it's it's not like he goes into VO mode. Like I've avenged you, my sister. Now everything is fine. Like no, no, Bruce is doing it uh, quietly, and we understand the full extent of it. So like, like I'm so impressed how he just got better and better, which is why it's so sad he died. Yes, I, yes. Even, I, I even thought Game of Death, conceptually, what we got in there, it was shaping into, uh, you know, masterful stuff. And then Robert Klaus, the director of this one, had to go and make the, uh, the Game of Death he chose to make, which is just a fucking piss-poor movie, really. It's fun to watch <laughs> and f- fun to research and talk about, but Game of Death mm-hmm. is just piss-poor on most levels. So, so. any other uh, f- favorite moments from the tournament uh, stuff? Because uh, then we're getting into the underground stuff after after that. So, uh, anything there is that is a standout from the tournament stuff, uh, if not the Bob Wall fight. No, it is mostly the Bob Wall fight. Like just how he does break him down. Like initially, where there's like that great shot where Bob Wall runs towards him, and Bruce Lee kind of jumps down it, just kicks him in the balls. And it's just like it's so effortless, where it's just like he's not got a 
like a, a scratch on Bruce. And even to the point where he does like that great sort of bicycle kick where he just does like almost like a somersault but manages to kick him in the face. And then he's just driven to the point where he smashes those bottles and just quickly just kicks them out the hand and deals with them. But he has that, you know, like where it kind of goes hypnotic, the music, and he screams and he screeches and his face becomes contorted. And it's almost as if he is grieving. It's just kind of really well put together. Yeah, to keep it on his face rather than a shot of uh, him and his foot uh, ah, crushing you just, uh, Bob Ward's character. You hear like, the, in the, the sound mix and just the, the f- what his foot's doing, the crunching of the bones as he twists his foot. So you know it's the death blow, but they just focus on the intensity that's pouring out of his face. And I think, uh, you know, ju- judging by the fact he worked with a director, Law Way, who was not really a good director as such, he, but he worked with good people every now and again, including Bruce Lee. And I'm not sure Robert Klaus, necessarily the director of Enter the Dragon, is held in that much higher regard, but he managed to work with great people. Mm-hmm. And that says to me that Bruce Lee was an idea man that was allowed to be an idea man and bring choices to the table that stand out just like you uh, described here. I'm, I'm I'm hoping that was the case anyway because Robert Klaus never, you know, he never gave me that impression that he was an idea man and came to this and therefore gelled with Bruce. But um, I'm I'm speculating to a degree, but that's uh, that's my take. As uh, it goes underground towards the twenty thirty minute last twenty thirty minutes of the movie, we we get a movie in a different tradition. It's a spy movie essentially. It's not a tournament movie. There's underground drug labs and slaves and shit, and it's rather fun and welcome. This sort of new image of Bruce sneaking around, and it's not a forced image, as I said. It's he seemed to embrace it, even though he might not have wanted to pr- pursue a spy movie ever again after he was done w- with End of a Dragon, who knows, but and even if it's out of Kung Fu tradition for a bit, you know, being that, that the plot take, takes this detour, not a detour, it's 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 a choice. I, I think we get a lot of great action here, a varied takedown, uh, you know, even if it takes down one at a time or several in a row, and just then starts just to unveil the sort of Bruce Lee bingo towards the end with a little bit of nunchucks and a little a bit of... A variety of weapons. You know, to, in a way, I think this is where Warner Brothers comes in in terms of like, well, the, the image images that we really liked in the previous movies, we want them, in, them incorporated to a degree here. So can you do some stuff for us? You know, a little bit of nunchucks in there. And, and Play the hits. Yeah, and it's not like we had 10 movies of this stuff. So mm-hmm. it's not... Uh, exhausted. Uh, exactly, it's not exhausted itself. And I think because he's so charismatic and he uses the non-verbal throughout the movie and he, it's clearly him uh, allowed to be him, I, I, I think that's all super fine and super fun and uh, w- with it being something that is not just a tournament movie but this uh, underground lair movie with the drug lab and the slaves and... Uh, and- all the, the old men with nowhere else to go. Exactly. <laughs> Trapped in there. I just really, really think uh, it gels. All of these choices gel. We're not meant to take this seriously. So it's a fun movie. And and to boot also, Sekin, who was older, he moves with terrific speed versus Bruce, especially before we get the one-on-one finale in the Hall of Mirrors, as he runs runs towards Bruce and leaves the claw marks on Bruce which in themselves are just iconic yes. <laughs> imagine that claw marks they're iconic like got them he did it again Bruce Lee like he manages to you know be an iconic image and 
then through circumstances like this and plotting like this that where he gets uh, injured you know whether he tastes his own blood or not he managed to make all that iconic because he was so goddamn compelling so again it's not hard to imagine that that an idea man was behind many of these things uh, obviously including action but um, my, my final note I, I think this isn't cult Stuart in terms of like oh a specialized audience they're, they're, they're the crazy kids who like this stuff I think it's genuinely classic and iconic, this and the other movies combined that Bruce left behind. It's not uh, hokey and stupid and cult and just something that a select audience like. Because otherwise we wouldn't have so many stories of people being inspired by Bruce and then went into whatever arts they went into themselves. You know what I mean? And, And whether it's based on Enter the Dragon or the other movies or everything combined doesn't matter so, so i think uh, the, it's what rang true to me during this viewing that when after finally having watched enter the dragon for the first time since vhs i realized that now when i combine the whole bruce lee canon it's 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 you know it's high, it's highfalutin language but it's film history yeah and there's a reason for that because he was onto something that people responded to and we didn't get a lot of it but it, you know, the impact is immeasurable. Aye. And that's, a, a, and again, to use the big old fancy words, it's like one of the quintessential 70s movies. It doesn't have a cult status. It's one of the, the big films that came out of the 70s. Like it's, you could class it as like maybe like a great action film, like, like westerns or war movies. Heck, like you could just class it and like one of the best the great films of the 70s much like your dirty harry's and it's just such a shame that we only got one but you don't put it into a cup it's just like it's one of these great films from the 70s it's, it's it covers several genres spy martial arts actions it, there's sprinkled bits of comedy in it it allows itself to have fun and get some you know we didn't even talk about it but obviously a, a lot is to be discovered by by you the viewer but obviously I, I think Jim Kelly probably has the best lines in the movie you know I, I, as he observes Bruce human fly mm-hmm. even when he was getting shaken down in his flashback sequence at the start by the two police officers like where are you going Jake and they're looking at his passport it's like he's going to Hawaii it's like this jig's not going to Hawaii, and he just batters these two cops, and it's just, oh, I just love the, like the dialogue, and he is he's cool as a cucumber with these guys as well. Bullshit, Mister Handman. Exactly, <laughs> and and all of that doesn't make it like go into you know B movie territory. I think all of that is made with an understanding that we're, we're we're making a fun movie, not this. It's not meant for poignancy, but the poignancy to it is the fact how how it still affects people, how Bruce Lee as an, as a singular sort of entity that led the way for so many things still affects people and you don't need to have you, you don't need to have made like broody movies to leave poignancy in your in your wake and all of that. Aye. And that's it, just kinda of like that last point there. It's, like, it's not a cult film. It's an iconic film. And, and and it's still like that because you never know when you approach something for essentially the first time, as I did in twenty nineteen, as we are now. Or enough. If sometimes you never know how something's going to play, but um, you know, I, I still have great familiarity with uh, what led up to Enter the Dragon, and um, you know, I'm, I'm not uh, 
sort of an outside fan looking in on Bruce Lee. Obviously, I I, I got a, a fair amount of in the bank, uh, so to say. So mm-hmm. it uh, it it was easy. It was an easy sit down and uh, an enjoyable and rewarding uh, watch and uh, an easy one too. So uh, and and an easy introduction, I think, for people who want to see what Bruce Lee is about because we get so much of it in him here. Uh, that, that represents him and then hopefully you can introduce people to like Fist of Fury next and uh, and see what that gets them in terms of uh, impact. Uh, so I'll conclude my notes right there. Do you have any, anything else you want to say before we do the availability? I just love how it kind of ends in things like chaos breaks out on the island. I'm glad this film was made before the fucking song Everyone Was Kung Fu Fighting because that probably would have been the moment to drop it when everyone was literally Kung Fu Fighting on the <laughs> islands. There's that sad little moment where like John Saxon finds like his his romantic subplot dead in the field of battle, but it's, it's just everything's kicking off. We've had that brilliant fight sequence in in the mirrored room, and he's he, like that bit of wisdom from his master helped guided him through that last challenge. But just when they get there, the army's finally flowing in. Like that shot where they're all running to the helicopter. They look like a bunch of office workers with helmets on. <laughs> they're all running in their trousers and blue shirts. <laughs> but We got paper clips. Watch out. So, <laughs> we got reports for you. So just when the helicopters finally show up, it's like, right, okay, it, it's over. And Bruce and John Sachs kind of like, have the mutual nod, thumbs up, and say, well, that's it. The film's over. There's no much of a story left to tell. Go home, and they just off. end it. Mm-hmm. You know, and and when you think back on it, uh, and and especially when you think back on how directors and actors have have uh, tried out Hollywood, and they haven't necessarily at all times been allowed to be as impactful as they were in Hong Kong, and even when they did, uh, it was not necessarily the you know great vehicles given to them that were also successful. You know, I'm, I'm thinking Chiang Fat had a difficulty transitioning even though he did essentially um, a remake of the killer as his first movie which was suitable but then you know it, they didn't really respond to the mix of action and acting that he could provide uh, but uh, for bruce it really worked and i don't know if warner had more plans for him if they wanted like oh we're gonna make the sequel buddy and uh five more of these but um re-enter the dragon that <laughs> 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 you, you gave the remake people their title <laughs> and the audience there cringe mm. but uh, I'm, I'm glad it's uh, in, as impactful as it is um, so let, let's talk availability it is a Warner title as we discussed it's been reissued plenty of time over the years on all the formats and it's currently widely available on Blu-ray in a 40th anniversary edition and by now it also contains a few extra scenes that were put in for the film's 25th anniversary uh, the first is a dialogue scene between uh, a monk, uh, presumably his teacher, played by Roy Chow Mm-hmm. And Bruce Lee. Uh, otherwise, uh, Roy Chow is is just sitting there. He has no dialogue in the regular edit. And essentially, it's a dialogue scene that has more of Bruce's philosophy in martial arts. He talks of his ambitions. and But also, Mr. Han comes up before Bruce meets Braithwaite. And the monk encourages him to take care of Han. So both because uh, Mr. Han was a former Shaolin student or teacher. So, so both his teacher and the government gives Bruce a, Bruce a mission, which, you know, it's a short enough scene, but it's, it also can be argued to be a little bit redundant that uh, he's sent out on a mission by two people. 
and also during the Hall of, Hall of Mirrors finale, as you mentioned, Stuart, Bruce recalls some of his teacher's sayings, and we hear that in voiceover. So they inject a little thing towards the end, and it's about three minutes of extra stuff um, that were not uh, part of the original cinema edits of, of, um, of the film. So it's uh, like a 25th anniversary um, thing. And it's funny because uh, that scene with Roy Chow and uh, Bruce Lee, I was familiar with it, but, but in the context of Game of Death 2. Tower of Death, because they have that scene in there, but they've dubbed it into Cantonese, and it, it's, uh, it has different context, uh, because they talk of Billy Lowe, his brother, and uh, how he's fallen aside. Oh, God, that's such a stupid movie, but I love Tower of Death. Uh, like, g- Game of Death thought it was, oh, we're fun and kooky, screw you, screw you. Tower of Death is where the genuine sense of fun is. There's a guy in a lion suit that fights uh, Billy Lowe. <laughs> so. Oh, Christ, so there is. So uh, and 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 they got a lot of like, like little snippets of Enter the Dragon, but redubbed to fit the story of uh, Tower of Death or Game of Death too. So I recognize a lot of the scenes here, but in a way different context. So, uh, but that's a story for another podcast. That uh, that's already been done. It's in our archives. Uh, Tower of Death, Game of Death too. <laughs> Uh, but uh, otherwise, we are done. Thank you very much, Stuart, for uh, going down the memory lane. Uh, uh, with me, uh, your particular memory lane, and I've uh, just started my lane, I suppose, my Hand of a Dragon <laughs> lane. But uh, I'm very happy that um, to hear your history of it and how it impacts you still, and uh, the fact that you met uh, met Bolo and uh, had such a vivid sort of tug of war in your head, like should I, should I not? He's, he was an Hand of a Dragon, for heaven's sake. And, exactly. And I, and I bet that all took place in like two minutes, like uh, the final, like well, I want to do that. <laughs> like the, it slowed down in slow motion in your head, and then it happened, and your memory is preserved, and you got what you want. Mm-hmm. You can imagine my wife watching my conflict as my eyes dart left and right between the, the angel and the devil on my shoulder. <laughs> but she's a good woman for allowing you the the sort of uh, to to be uh, to be a fanboy and, and create a moment for yourself. So and exactly, it's a very rare moment that Hong Kong cinema fans get the kind of fanboy at conventions because th- that is not your primary audience for like comic book conventions. Yeah, I was about to say. I mean, I mean, Jean Claude Fine. Uh, he he's got broad appeal, but um, it's almost. Uh, Bolo is not uh, who people think of, like in the same breath necessarily as uh, Jean Claude, and in a particular not as part of that circuit as you described. So that's uh, mm-hmm. that's very cool. Uh, but uh, otherwise, uh, we should finish this one off really quickly. For all your podcast on fire network needs, including all the relevant links for this episode and social media links, go to podcastonfire.com. You'll find this archive, uh, this show, and uh, or the entire podcast on fire archive, including uh, the OG shows that Stu started. Started. Uh, he was the originator of the podcast on fire network and this show, of course. So we're all very thankful for him. And whenever he has time to stop by. Uh, I mean, for heaven's sake, this is the basement, considering how many shows uh, you you have done and you're going to reach 300 before we do. So uh, <laughs> this is the basement and you're up there in the sort of deluxe penthouse of the of the podcast empire, for heaven's sake. <laughs> Uh, but uh, otherwise, I'm going to leave it uh, to you to uh, uh, do some plugging again for your podcast. So the floor is yours, sir. Sure. Uh, simple. Filmsandswearing.com. You'll find links to our our podcast. And just go through your apps that you get podcasts from. Search Films and Swearing. Social media. Just go on to at FAS Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you'll find us there. And Ken... Uh, Thank you very much. Just 
it's always fun to kind of sit and talk Enter the Dragon. So it was a, a real pleasure to come on tonight and sit and talk with yourself. Excellent. Well, I, I enjoy it and, and I enjoy the when uh, someone like you is uh, receptive to my uh, way of uh, structuring these things. A little bit of background and uh, some fun and... Uh, and uh, proper review notes and good uh, positive memories. Uh, you you have an impact in the way you uh, deliver uh, deliver enthusiasm and passion for these things. So, um. mm-hmm. and I'm glad because obviously this was a podcast that was planned for a while, and I deliberately postponed it on the off chance of that I was could have had the chance to meet Bolo, and I thought right, I, we're, I'm going to postpone it again, Ken, but with good reason this time. <laughs> well, I'm uh, always busy, as you know, so. So, for heaven's sake, I'm busy being famous. I'm on a Blu-ray, for heaven's sake. Yes, but... fucking congratulations on that. <laughs> I am fucking so proud to see your name on the back cover of that fucking movie. And it's not for an End of a Dragon movie or a Hong Kong movie. It's for a Korean movie. And you realize how stupid this is. Because it started out as something super stupid. Back in, like, Podcast on Fire 9 or 10, where we were discussing various topics. And you asked me, like, so what do you think of this Korean movie, Ken? Korean cinema? What's Korean cinema? Such a stupid little cynical twat and such a stupid thing to say by me. And then you had an idea. Let's name the Korean cinema show after that. Now we have done an audio commentary for like a weird... Me and Paul Quinn have done Mm -hmm. an audio commentary for a weird, surreal, arty, horror, comedy, melodrama cancer pastry movie talking skeleton movie from Korea Sweet. called Jesus. Uh, uh, Woman uh, Chasing the Butterfly of Death uh, we did the commentary under the title Kill the Butterfly because we thought that was the official English title but it has a various amount of titles uh, but uh, we uh, we did as we always did research, production background director background, Kim Ki-young the director has done so many movies uh, uh, he's dead now but uh, you know there, there, there's a mighty catalog to uh, uh, to uh, focus on and therefore you can fill a commentary easily we're very proud of the work so uh, regardless of when you hear this you should be able to get Woman Chasing the Butterfly of Death on Blu-ray from Mondo Macabro and it's region all as well ABC so you can very play nice. it uh, in uh, the UK and the US and Sweden and Hong Kong and wherever so um, that's fun so I'm enjoying it uh, uh, my 15 minutes uh, right now and I think they're up now so that was fun <laughs> <laughs> to think when we were like 10 years ago sat around and done a audio commentary to Eastern Condors look at yourself now well, we, we researched that as well and that was a on your that, that, that was sort of your intent too to we, we gotta research this and not just mm-hmm. sit there and riff so um, uh, but indeed so and uh, what's Korean cinema the podcast lives on uh, regardless so um, that was uh, a fun byproduct of all of this uh, we did that on uh, so long ago now I mean uh, we did the bulk of the research law last autumn did the commentary on December 30th uh, 2018 and uh, mm-hmm. then Mondo Macabro worked through transfer issues you know because it's an old movie and uh, not in the best shape so it took a while but it came out this summer and uh, now it's uh, now it's out so Regardless, uh, that that's all fun. It's been fun, Stuart. Let's do this again sometime. But in the meantime, I've been Kenneby, and with me was Stuart Savland. So sign off in any way you like. If you're gonna echo the films and swearing, sign off, or if you're gonna be uh, uh, a gent about it. <laughs> <laughs> for you, Ken, I'll always be a gent. But for those listeners out there, fuck off and tune in next week. That's big before you. <laughs>
Nay can't leave until we sat about and talked about Ender Dragon for the next 90 fucking minutes. <laughs> I'm at Bolo. 